Good morning and welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. Would you stand with me? Let's make this song our prayer this morning that God would tune our hearts to sing His praise we sing. And come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise and teach me some melodious song sung by flaming tongues above and praise a mount i'm fixed upon it a mount of thy redeeming remember the gospel together I once was lost and I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free and now my soul can sing a Thank him for his grace. And oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. And let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. And prone to wonder, Lord, I feel to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to our church gathering this morning where we're going to get to look at God's word, worship together, do some life together before we head into spring break. So really glad to be a part of that with y'all, whether you are here for the first time or have been coming for a long time. Uh, you're welcome here. and We are glad that you're here. We would love for you to make yourself known. If you are a guest, uh, come introduce yourself to one of us um, or meet somebody out at the booth and we'd love to help get you connected. One of the things that we do here at Fellowship often, we are the church, is we pray. I want to bring two prayer opportunities to mind for you this week. Uh, one is to continue to pray for the people of Ukraine, um, not just for safety of believers, but also that even in the midst of all the evil that's taken place, that God would still be made known and people would come to Christ through the church stepping in to love people well. And so uh, you're also welcome to give. You can give uh, online and in the app uh, towards that as we continue to establish ministry partners on the ground. We want to invite you to do that. Second prayer opportunity is for spring break trips. We get to send hundreds of kids, leaders, and staff members uh, across the U.S. starting yesterday, some even leaving today, and we want to lift them up in prayer. I just sent my wife off this morning, so you can also pray for me. I am with my three children all week. Uh, which is going to be really fun, so add that to your list. Uh, but if you go online, uh, fellowshiprogers.org slash news, fellowshipbentonville.org slash news, you can actually download a prayer guide for our spring break trips. It'd be a great thing to save on your desktop or on your phone. Just spend some time each morning just lifting up those trips. As a, a guy who's been on that for seven years before this year, we feel it. We feel the body of Christ loving us well while we're gone, and so would invite you to do that. We are 14 days out from launch and relaunch here at Fellowship Rogers and Fellowship Bentonville. It feels like it's taken forever, and now it's about to punch us in the face. And so it's coming. Um, and so just a, a reminder, in two weeks, we will be moving services from three services down to two, nine, and 1030. 
um, and that'll be at both campuses. And so some people will probably still forget, that's okay, you're still welcome to roll in uh, a little bit late, but wanted to remind you of that. And then also next week, so seven days from now, we're gonna be having an open house at the Bentonville campus. And so that's for anybody. If you're gonna be here at Rogers, you're staying here for the relaunch, hey, come next Sunday night just to pray with us. It'll just be kind of tour yourselves. We'll have some prayer points up around campus. You can come check it out. Uh, but we wanna invite everybody to that next Sunday night from five to 6.30. This morning is special. We start a 21-week series in the book of John. That is long. I get distracted after about three minutes up here. How are we gonna do 21 weeks? And really the question is why? Why are we doing this long of a series in the book of John the way we're doing it? Well, over a year ago as we started praying about this Bentonville launch, Rogers relaunch, uh, we started thinking what do we want to cover on a Sunday morning? What do we want those foundational teachings uh, to be? And it became very clear that we have to center on Jesus to start. Like we want to be foundational and center on him. And so with that, we wanted to be able to answer three questions. Who is Jesus? What did he do? And how did he change people's lives? And so rather than going verse by verse through the book of John, we're actually gonna have three seven-week kind of mini-series back to back to back. And so for these first uh, seven weeks, we're gonna look at seven I am statements to answer that question, who is Jesus? And then we want to look at seven miracles to learn more about what did he actually do while he was here on earth. And then seven encounters, interactions with people to see how did he actually change people's lives. That's going to be the next 21 weeks. And a couple of resources that will hope, hopefully help you uh, through this process. Number one, out in the foyer, you may have noticed there's some artwork on the back. That's some of our Spectra artists have actually put together pieces that reflects some of these I am statements. And we all learn in different ways, and I love visual, and a lot of times visual helps the, the text pop for me and for me to really see what God's doing. And so I wanna invite you to view that, but also this guy. If you don't have one of these yet, these are available in the foyer. This is a, a guidebook for the 21-week uh, series in John. There's $7 out there. Uh, you can go to fellowship, rogers or fellowshipbentonville.org slash John and actually download a digital copy if you'd rather just use it digitally, but uh, it has insights into the text each week. It has personal Bible study, uh, observation, interpretation, application to help us in our own walks with Jesus go deeper and develop more spiritual rhythms. There's also discussion questions. Uh, so our community group is gonna go all in on this for the summer, and we're gonna use this as our guide for our, our Tuesday night uh, discussions. And so that's available for you out in the foyer or online. How do you kick off a 21-week series? Let's give it a shot. John 18, I want you to look with me right here. This is actually the, the betrayal story in the book of John, okay? And so if you're like me, when you studied the betrayal story, I always have heard, you know, uh, Judas goes and he gives Jesus a kiss, and that signifies who Jesus is. And that is what we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in John, there's a little bit of a different take. That doesn't mean those are wrong, but John has a little bit different perspective. And so look at this story here. So Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, so the soldiers and Judas are coming, he says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, look what happened. They drew back and fell to the ground. Now, what makes these words so powerful that when Jesus would say them, people would fall to the ground? It's not just the words themselves, but it's how they tie to the person who's speaking them. So what we see here, this I am statement is ego eme. This is the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew covenant personal name that God, that Yahweh, gave to Moses many, many years ago. And so what Jesus is actually doing here is he's He's not only tying himself to divinity, tying himself to God, he's saying, I am God. Like all of these stories you've heard about God becoming flesh and, and this prophecy, like it is fulfilled through me. I am he. And that is powerful. And, and this isn't the only place that we see this in scripture. In fact, that's the whole first seven weeks that we're gonna look at are these seven I am statements. And look at these pictures. Jesus actually says these words, and then he ties them seven times with this outrageous illustration and some very, very bold claims. So he says things like, I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life. 
the way, the truth, and the life, the true vine. And any of these things in and of themselves are powerful, but when you sum these up, it gives us a beautiful picture of who Jesus actually is. And John strategically places seven of these uh, in his story, in his account. Now, are these all of the, the times that Jesus ever said, I am, fill in the blank? Probably not, but if you know the last verse in the book of John, he actually addresses this issue and says, hey, this is not everything that you, you are gonna know about Jesus. If we tried to write down everything there is to know about who Jesus is and what he said, the whole world could not contain that number of books. But these are the seven that we've been given. These are the seven that we're gonna zero in on to start. But why? My kids, I have three kids, they ask why a lot. Parents, y'all probably get that too. And then I answer and they ask why to that answer and they like double down. But it's an important question here. Yes, we wanna talk about Jesus to start, but why? Why are we doing this? And I think this verse, John 17, verse three, is the key to understanding that. I'm studying uh, the book of John with my kids right now before school, and we're in John chapter 17. This is the high priestly prayer. So Jesus is praying to the Father on behalf of his people. Here's what he says. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The why behind this 21-week series is because we want the people of God to experience eternal life, and that starts now in knowing Jesus personally. The best thing we can do as a church, the best thing we can do as individuals is to fix our eyes on Jesus, to know him more intimately and to allow him to transform our day-to-day lives so that we can know him and experience life. That's where we're going for 21 weeks. We're doing it together as a church. We've got some guides to help you. Would y'all stand? Let's invite Jesus into this series with us and ask him to transform us. God, we love you and are so grateful that you chose to become flesh, to become human, uh, not only so that we can know you more intimately and see you, but God, so that you would redeem us. So that when you make these claims of the life that you, that you have and that you are, God, that they can be true because you've stepped in to do the things that we could not do, to live the perfect life that we could not live. So God, as we dive into these 21 weeks, We invite you and we ask you to transform us. There are many different sins and struggles that people are coming in this morning. Even those watching online, God, we all bring different stuff to the table and you meet us individually and intimately in that pain. While we were still sinners, Christ, you died for us and we are grateful for that. Would you use these 21 weeks to mold us, to transform us, to to help us with spiritual disciplines. I pray that this book would be a guide for us that just enhances our relationship with you as we dive deep into your word. So God, we pray that you would shepherd us, that you would guide us and lead us. We wanna follow you and we love you and we give you worship this morning. We began our time together with a prayer and a song of invitation. Come thou fount of every blessing tune our hearts to sing of your grace and now we turn to an invitation that the Lord has for us in Matthew 11 come to me all who are weary and heavy laden I will give you rest so let's sing of this invitation and let's accept the invitation this morning to find true life as we ask that he would be our daily bread we sing are you hurting and broken within Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. We sing, oh come. Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Come. 
him and seen. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is Bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is Savior this morning, the majesty, who he is and what he has done. We lift up our voice in praise and adoration as we sing at your breath in our lungs. God, we pour out our praise to you. preparing for this series on the gospel of John and as we were reflecting on the person of Jesus and looking at the I am statements the, a lot of the worship leaders here began writing music and so before we uh, hear the word taught this morning by Mark want to prepare our hearts by singing a song over you as we sing the names of God and as we sing the statement that Hunter mentioned earlier ego me. I am. We acknowledge that Jesus is God incarnate and he is worthy of our praise. So as the plates are passed for offering, would you continue to worship as we prepare our hearts for the preaching of his word this morning.
before the world began, I am. In the silence of the dawn, I am. Spoken to existence, every star and every man, I am. I am. In the dark and empty land, I am. In our hunger and our thirst, I am. As we wander in the wilderness and do not understand, I am. I am. Oh. Our Savior and our King, holy, holy, holy we sing. Oh, Jesus, perfecter of our faith, all creation bows in your name. Our King who robed in flesh, I am. presence now we stand, I am, the holiest of holies came to dwell in humbleness, I am, I am, oh Jesus, our Savior and our Thank you for the truth that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, that the righteous run into it and they are saved. So this morning, as we approach your word with humility, God, would you remind us of who you are and who you've called us to be? We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pat, that song needs to stay in the rotation. There's nothing that tunes our heart to sing his praise 
our first song, like singing of the character of who Jesus is, right? The last song. So thank you all and your worship team for, for putting that one together for us. I look forward to singing that even 5, 10, 15 years from now with you. Hey, it was exactly two years ago uh, this week that a C-suite executive with uh, America's oldest flower company, King Arthur Flower, a C-suite executive sent a text message to his largest supplier, and it was simply two words, call me, exclamation point. You see, typically March is the beginning of the slow season for flour mills. Uh, I guess it's the fact that warmer bread, uh, weather does, allows us to not really crave hot bread. I wonder also sometimes if it's swimsuit season coming causes us to go low carb. I don't know. All I know is that it decreases, except for one time in history, March of 2020, when the pandemic sent everybody home from their offices and no one figured they were going to put a swimsuit on anyway. And so it wasn't just toilet paper and hand sanitizer and Lysol that flew off the shelf. Flour was gone. My wife Lisa loves to bake as one of her hobbies. She came home and said, are you kidding me? Flour is gone. I mean, how can we be eating more bread? And uh, it was gone completely. So much so the King Arthur Bread Company saw their sales increase 2,000%. It seems that fresh bread was something everybody wants. And that's not just a pandemic thing, that's a human thing. So John chapter six, where we start our series in the book of John, verse 24 this morning. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So the crowd is seeking Jesus because of two miracles he had just performed. Now, one was a miracle that everybody saw, and the other was a miracle that only the 12 disciples saw. The miracle that the crowd saw was the feeding of the 5,000 on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The miracle that only the 12 disciples saw was Jesus walking on the water across that sea back to Capernaum. So the crowd... They're searching for Jesus because they really love his first miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. But they're actually surprised to find Jesus in Capernaum because of the second miracle, the private one. He's already there and there's no boat. How did you get here, they wonder. The immediate context of the passage we'll look at is this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, but it's also Passover time. I don't think that's coincidental. The broader context that the crowd is actually going to bring up a little bit later in this story, is the fact that the last time God had miraculously fed a crowd in the wilderness was back when Israel was crossing the desert and God fed them miraculously with manna. Jesus will turn around and put himself in the middle of both of those miracles, both of those contexts, the immediate feeding of the 5,000 and the bigger one of the feeding of the wilderness crowd with manna. And he's going to do that with a Q&A style sermon. And what we're going to notice is that this sermon has four truly, truly statements. Um, by the way, anytime Jesus says truly, truly, it's a, a hint to us to listen, listen even more closely. And you'll see four truly, trulys, or as the NIV puts it, very truly. Uh, the original language that the New Testament was written in, anytime you see truly, truly, it's the word amen, amen, which in English means so be it, so be it. Or you and I would say truth, truth, trust it, trust it, bank on it, bank on it. And four times he'll give us this message in four movements. Let's look at the first bank on it, bank on it, amen statement. Verse 26, the text continues. Jesus answered, very truly, amen, amen, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, 
God the Father has placed his seal of approval. See, Jesus sees what's really going on here. Uh, he knows what people really want. They say they're seeking Jesus. That's what the text said. But Jesus really knows what they seek. And they seek what Jesus can give them. He, they know that they, want, they had full bellies and they want their bellies filled one more time. Now, miracles are signs that point to the Savior. And at this point, the crowd is not looking for where or to whom the sign points. They love the sign because the sign filled their belly. Jesus knows that. And guess what? Jesus knows our deepest desires too. He knows every time we come to him in prayer, what we really want. He knows when we want just relief from pain or our problem to go away versus really want him and want to know him and love him more. So let me ask you a question. What do you do with a God who really sees you as you are? Let me encourage you in one, one thing not to do. Don't continue to con him. It doesn't work. Don't continue to try to hide your real motives, those motives that you have that even aren't as clean and pure as you would like. No, bring all of yourself to the real God. And even start by telling him those real motives. Lord, say, I really want you most to just change my circumstance or relieve my problem, and I know you see that. So right now, would you take me as I am? And would you start to work on my heart and help me want to know you and who you are for your own sake? See, Jesus knows we struggle with hidden motives and desires, even ones we can't see. And he loves us just the way we are. He just loves us too much to leave us that way. And so he starts to expose our real motives. And then he loves us even more by helping us understand what real life is all about. Looking at 26, do you see what real life is all about? Jesus boils life down to a pursuit of only two kinds of food. He says there's one kind of food that spoils. You and I would say those are temporary things. And there's another kind of food that endures to eternal life. You, would all, you and I would say those are eternal or lasting things. And all of life, he says, can be divided into those two categories. And actually, this word life is pretty key to understanding the book of John. The Gospel of John will use the word life 36 times. But it uses a particular word for life. See, the Greek has actually two words for life. The first word for life is bios. It kind of communicates life extensive or the quantity of years. It emphasizes the physical nature of life. So we get our, our word biology from this word. But then the other word is zoe, and it communicates life intensive, the, the quality of life. It emphasizes abundant life, a life that flourishes from the inside out. So we name our daughters Zoe after this. The Gospel of John chooses to use the word life with Zoe 36 times in this book. But guess what? 11 of those 36 are in this little sermon that we're looking at this morning. Can we go out on a limb and say that the main point of Jesus' sermon is where to find abundant, flourishing life from the inside out? Now look back at the passage again in verse 26. Jesus tells us there are two kinds of food in this world, but only one of them is worth chasing after. And the people hear that, that they can have this abundant Zoe kind of life, and they go, yes, that's what we want. And so in verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Don't you see, we all want food that leads to an abundant Zoe kind of life. But notice where our default switch is and how we find it. We tend to look to ourselves. What must I do to get this kind of abundant life? We look inward. 
which only shows that we have no real knowledge of ourself or sin. And at the same time, we don't really have good insight into God and his grace. And because our Savior loves far more than we think he loves, he loves us too much to leave us in ignorance. So in verse 29, he answers their question. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. It tells us that Zoe life of God is a work of God, not a work of ourselves. That ours is to receive his life by believing in his Savior. Now listen, this confuses the crowd. And I get that. I would be confused if I were in their shoes or sandals at that point. Because at this point, Jesus has done five miracles, so five signs, but he has yet to give an I am statement. So he hasn't directly taken those signs and pointed them back to himself. And they're so enamored with the signs, they just want another sign. And so the next thing out of their mouths in the text will be that they'll say, are you saying that you're greater than Moses who fed us in the wilderness? If so, give us some more food. And this is how Jesus responds to that in verse 32. It's the second amen movement in the sermon. And Jesus said to them, very truly, amen, amen, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life, zoe, life, to the world. So we can chase two kinds of food. Those are our options on the table this day that we woke up. But Jesus says only one of them is true bread. Now, if there's true bread, that also means there must be false bread. How do you know if you got up chasing false bread versus true bread today? Jesus tells us. He tells us what true bread is like. He said true bread, first of all, is freely given. Secondly, it's from the Father. And third, it's, it gives life, right? The bread of God, given freely, to life. So true bread is simply the grace of God that leads to life. When I get up in the morning and I chase the grace of God that leads to life, I'm feeding on true bread. And that grace is so good that Jesus uses this entire text in present tense verbs. He says, the bread of God comes. That's a continual action verb, comes. The bread of God keeps coming down from heaven, and it keeps giving life to the world. Do you know what Jesus is saying? If true bread is the grace of God that leads to life, he's saying here, the bread is always fresh. God's grace is always fresh. You don't live on yesterday's grace. You have a buffet full of it today to feast on and to fuel your life from the inside out. But he's also saying, that the bread always satisfies. The cravings we have most will continually be satisfied by the bread, the grace that God gives. No wonder that the next thing out of the crowd's mouth is this statement. They're no longer asking a question. Verse 34, sir, that means Lord. Lord, they say, always give us this bread. Jesus has touched a nerve in their heart, and the nerve is called hunger pain. And they know they crave something. In the most raw and honest statement, they say, we have that craving. Give us that kind of bread that leads to life. And we know exactly what they mean when they say that, because we too have a vision of the good life. Every one of us does. We crave something that we think will satisfy. The question spiritually is, do we crave true bread or do we fill up on the empty calories of the world and the flesh around us? 
I love Mexican food. No, I mean, I like, I love Mexican food. In fact, as I say it, I'm thinking that's lunch after the third service today. I even know where I want to go. My family knows where I want to go. And I order the same thing, my favorite dish. Now, while they're in there working on my favorite dish that actually I was craving enough to go there and order, I sit out at the table and eat a bushel and a half of chips, <laughs> totally dulling my craving for what I wanted most. And we do the same thing spiritually. We crave the Zoe life of God. You hunger for it even more than you're aware. And then we fill up on the empty calories and chips of the world and the flesh. And we need to be courageous and humble enough to own it and name it. I don't know your favorite empty calories. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's food or sex or pills or alcohol. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's success and notoriety. Maybe it's just good old-fashioned cash. When we can name it, we can move away from the false bread and recognize that the hunger is there and is driving us to food. Jesus is not saying don't be hungry. Uh-uh. God built you with an appetite for Zoe life. He's saying don't take your hunger to false bread. Take it to true bread. Acknowledge your need. Remember 34, they said, Lord, always give us this kind of bread. And so verse 35, here's Jesus' answer. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So in 34, we have a seeking crowd saying, give us bread that leads to life. And in 35, we have a saving son who says, I am that bread of life. Folks, Jesus did not come to give bread he came to be bread. Jesus did not come to fill stomachs. He came to fill our lives with the very presence of God because that's the hunger that we have most and most often. We crave a meal that temporarily satisfies our hunger and Jesus, he offers us so much more than a meal. He offers us himself. Remember, the true bread is the grace of God that leads to life. Well, Jesus is saying, I am the true bread. And so now we have to ask, then how do I feast on Jesus as the bread of life? And he tells us. Verse 35 says, by coming to Jesus and by believing in Jesus. Verse 40 actually echoes that exact same two commands or action points. Verse 40 says, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Men and women, verse 35 and 40 are on the screen, and every verb you see is a continual action verb, meaning every verb you see could be read as Keep coming, keep believing, keep beholding or looking at Jesus and keep trusting and believing in him. I think purposely the Savior does not put these in past tense verbs as though eternal life is that thing where one time in our past we prayed a prayer or accepted him into our heart or walked an aisle. That's not Jesus' vision of, his, of the Christian life. His is a vision where we are continually satisfied by him because we keep coming to him day by day. We keep trusting or believing in him day by day. Where we're continually, verse 40, satisfied in God by continuing to behold and look at Jesus, which is why worship is so critical in our lives. And we continue believing and trusting Jesus for our life. That's the only way to satisfy the deepest craving of abundant life that we all have. 
about the third amen movement? Verse 47. Very truly, amen, amen, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So now we need to notice when this Zoe abundant life of God actually starts. It starts the moment we trust the saving son for the life that we can't generate on our own. He brings that life, and that has huge implications for us spiritually. I mean, the first implication is kind of a theological one, kind of a, a mental one that we need to shift our paradigm towards. We need to change our definition of eternal life. Because our definition, typically in the body of Christ, we define eternal life as keep living after you die. That's not the way God defines eternal life. He defines eternal life as start living and then never die. So if you're one who has believed that eternal life is that thing that God will give you only after you die, you need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news is this. Your craving for abundant life it can be satisfied now. The moment you start trusting the Savior who gives this life and is this life. See, it can be satisfied in part because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you when you trust the saving work of the Son of God. And then good news gets better. When you die, you'll step into a whole new chapter of that relationship with God where you will now relate to him face to face, but even better, you will be the best version of yourself, meaning you will be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. You start living and you never die. Not only that, looking back at verse 47 and 48, you see that there's a second implication for us and it's very practical. And it's the sense that, that this life of God, this abundant life of God starts the moment we believe and we continue to experience it as we believe and trust in him. The practical implication of that is we don't have to wait until some circumstance in our life has changed in order for us to experience abundant life. Listen, I know some of you are grieving because you've lost someone you love. I know some are saying, I just, abundant life would start if I could only find my spouse. And others are saying, abundant life would start if only my spouse would change. Others would say, only when this health issue is resolved, or this tension at work is resolved, or maybe even I can retire, that's when the good life, the abundant life of God starts. No, stop living compartmentalized and begin to trust in Jesus in every high and low circumstance and watch him nourish and sustain your heart and soul and your life. Zoe life of God is ours the moment sinner meets Savior. And that's my life today. How about yours? This sinner knows his Savior. We keep trusting him and he provides the life we need today and forever. How about the fourth amen movement? It's verse 53 in the text. Jesus said to them, very truly, amen, amen, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And these are the kind of statements Jesus made that caused people to push away from the table and say, I think I've had enough of Jesus. And the rest of chapter six is a whole story of people thinning out and saying, I'm not following him anymore. But he's gonna talk about eating flesh and drinking blood. What in the world does he mean? Don't forget the context. He has just given an I am statement. I am the bread of life. Well, let me ask you, how do you experience bread from day to day? 
eating, being sustained, nourished. You take it in because you need it for life. You take it in because it's the pleasure of life. So it is with Jesus Christ. He is our pleasure and the sustainer of our life. I think that's why Augustine in the third century, uh, sometimes referred to as St. Augustine when you read of him, when he commented on John 6, he said, believe and you have eaten already. For to believe on him is to eat the living bread. He that believes eats. Don't you see the connection between our believing and our feasting or our nourishing ourselves on Jesus and our experience of eternal life? As we grow in trust of Jesus, we grow in our experience of his abundant life from the inside out. So again, let me ask, how do we feed on Jesus? And the answer is to the heart of the message. That middle AM was, I am statement is in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We feast on the bread of life by continually coming. Continually, meaning this day. And by continually believing, meaning this day. Because Jesus is the meal. He doesn't just give bread. He is the bread, which, which changes our perspective of communion even this morning. Not that the wafer and the drink are him in material ways. But it's a, it's a practical eating and drinking to symbolize our coming and our believing in the Savior. For some of us this morning, you have not trusted in the saving work of Jesus Christ yet. In many ways, you're just like the crowd was when you, they said, what must I do to do the works of God? Your focus has been on your own self and your own work, and so you've, you've tried to be more religious. You're hoping one day that your good works will outweigh your bad and that God will accept you and give you eternal life one day. And Jesus says, no, you're not the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. So walk away from trusting in what you can do and start trusting in what I do. Remember, he said, the work of God is to believe in his son. His work becomes our work. What work did he do? Well, he died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. You know the ache you have inside right now most? is not a circumstance. It's our struggle with sin. We need someone to defeat sin. He did that on a cross. What other work did he do? He rose from the dead. Do you know the problem we all face chronically? It's death. He's the only one that conquered that. So he says, turn from your works and believe in mine. And the moment you do, he gives you the Zoe life, the abundant life, which lasts forever from the moment you believe. So communion will be passed in a bit. And as you hold those elements in your hand, for you who have never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you simply say, Lord, I believe. Thank you for your cross and your resurrection. But for those of us who have trusted his saving work, that you hear the Spirit of God touching your heart and telling you that you've compartmentalized your spiritual life, that you know that he's taking care of sin and death, but every day you get up and you think it's up to you to better yourself. It's the work that you do, you gain, you achieve, you accomplish. Jesus says, stop. You're not the bread of life. I am. Keep coming back to me and believing in me to give you the life you you'd long to be satisfied with. Communion will be our coming and believing this day as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have come 
and on the cross and in the empty tomb, you've done the work we cannot do for ourselves. We say thank you. We now ask you to apply your truth, Holy Spirit, to our lives. Show us how we need to keep coming and keep believing.
never find more rest as followers of Jesus than when we submit our lives to him and um, when we worship him, when we receive the, the grace that he has to offer, knowing we can't do things on our own. And communion is a good reminder. In fact, it's one of the best for us. And what I love about communion is that it has past, present, and future implication implications for us as followers of Jesus. So when you think about it, this is our Ebenezer reminding us of what Christ has done on our behalf, what he did at the cross for us. But also, as we've learned today, that it's a reminder of the life that he brings today, not just a future hope, but life today. And then scripture commands us to do this often until he returns again. So it, it keeps our eyes facing forward, remembering that the hope that we experience will be made true in front of our eyes one day. So together as a body of believers, I want to take this moment to remember, to remember Christ's body that was broken for us. and We take and eat in remembrance of him. And we also remember that his blood was literally shed for us and it flowed on our behalf so that we might receive life in the future and life today. And so we take and we drink in remembrance of Jesus. Well, Fellowship, we love you. We're grateful to worship with you again. Um, we are here to pray with you. A couple of us will be at the front. We also have the Arkans who will be in the prayer room if you'd like some specific prayer. Have a great spring break. We'll see you next week.